0: Jesus, the all-inclusive land is everything to me. Oh, Lord Jesus, Lord, we come to you now at the, at the end of this conference, even for this last session, how we open up our heart to you, we open up our whole being to you, even we give you our lives and our environments and our situations Lord, our cry, the cry from the depths of our being, is that we want to know you in your unsearchable riches. We want to know you as the all-inclusive Christ. We don't want to be limited by just one or two items that we've experienced 20 years ago. Lord, we want fresh experiences every day. Be with us now as we fellowship in this last session. Lord, bring us into the experiences of all that we're fellowshipping here. We pray this again in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, saints, we come now to the last session. should be Lord's Day morning. Uh, it's been so good to be with you on these messages on the all-inclusive Christ. I just feel so refreshed and so strengthened and so encouraged by going over this with you. Uh, In this session this morning, um, we're coming to, we're still in the goodness of the land and we're in the second part of the unsearchable riches of this land. And this time it's the food. You recall in the last session, we fellowshiped the unsearchable riches uh, uh, related to the water. I think we all were watered in that meeting. That meeting was so refreshing and so watering Uh, to us all praise the lord thank you lord but now we can't just live on water we need food and you know if you're going to search out a good land a land for a farm or a land for you to live first thing you want to know is does it have water the next thing can i grow crops can i grow food here Uh, When I was young, actually I was born in the San Francisco Bay Area of California, many years ago, and uh, grew up in a little, well not a little, a city called San Carlos, it's part of the San Francisco Bay Area. And when I was uh, about eight, uh, my dad was very burdened and concerned for his family to move us out of the city and into the country. By that time, he we had four boys and two girls as children in the family. He wanted his boys to know how to work, how to sweat, how to uh, put in a day's work, hard work. And so he wanted to get us on some land. And so he was looking, shopping all over for the right property for us to move. And we found this little place. Uh not too far, maybe an hour from where we were. Uh, I think it was in the Santa Cruz mountain area. I'm not really sure. It was a town called La Honda, little village, a little, little quaint little town. And there was a house there with a barn, kind of like a farm, kind of, uh, you know, I was what, eight or nine years old. I don't remember a lot from it. And my my father and my mom were going into the contract to buy this property. And then they found out that it had no water. It had a had a well, but the well was running dry, and there was no water. So of course he broke the contract. He got out of that, and we didn't move to La Honda because there was no water. Uh, very important. You got to have water if you're going to have crops. You can't ju- you can't just depend on. Uh, The rain, you have to have a spring, a fountain, a stream, you need water. Well, a few years later, uh, my father expanded his search and he found this property in Central California in a little town called Dinuba. And we bought a property there and had a little farm, but it had a well. Oh, And you should have seen this well. Uh, There was a pump that pumped the water out of this well. It turns out in this valley where we lived, there was nearly an ocean of water underneath it. In fact, uh, at certain times, the water would just come up out of the ground. The water was so close to sea level or to the surface of the ground that sometimes if you dug too deep, you would hit water. And so the wells were not that deep, but the wells would just pump and pump. And there was a stream of water, this big around, coming out of the well, just like this. And that well would run for 24 hours a day, for seven days a week, and it would never run out of water. It was an abundance of water there. And not only that, the land was so fertile, so fertile for centuries, maybe millennial, uh, millennia. There was water coming off of these big mountains, the Sierra Nevada mountains, and the water would come down and it would bring the minerals from the granite mountains and it'd bring it and it settled in the valley. And we lived in this valley and it was the most fertile valley. It was just full of rich soil and an abundance of water. And brothers and sisters, when I think about the good land, the land of Canaan, this is what I think about. I think about this land where I grew up, where we you could grow anything. You could plant anything and it would grow and there would be an abundance. Well, <clears throat> now in this message, we want to come to the unsearchable riches of Christ As food, you know, remember our verses uh, from Deuteronomy chapter eight, verses seven through 10, for Jehovah, your God is bringing you, I got to find verse seven, "Uh, Jehovah, your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of water brooks, of springs and of fountains flowing forth in valleys and in mountains. And then the next verse goes on a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees with oil and of honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. You will not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and from whose mountains you can mine copper. Verse 10, and you shall eat and be satisfied and you shall bless Jehovah your God for the good land which he has given you. Okay, the second aspect of the all, uh, sorry, I get these mixed up. The unsearchable riches of this good land is the food supply, the food supply. Now there are seven items of food mentioned here. There's wheat and barley, vines, figs, pomegranates, olive trees with olive oil, and honey. Okay, two of these are grains, the wheat and barley. Four of them are trees, the vine, the figs, the pomegranates, and the olive trees. And then there's one, the honey. Not sure what that is. It's the product of the animal life and the plant life mingle together. The bee is a little animal, and it takes the pollen from the plants, and it produces this thing called honey that is the sweetest thing, the sweetness. Now, we'll get on that, but we won't get on that this weekend. Today, we can only cover the first three, the wheat, the barley, The vines. Now, next time we're going to continue on the unsearchable riches of this good land with the rest of the food and also with the iron and the copper. And there's too much, too much to talk about. So I won't get into that now. But I would like to continue this fellowship on the wheat and the barley uh, and the vines. Okay? So, <clears throat> let me just say this. When you're considering the goodness of the land, the greatest aspect of the goodness of the land is not the spaciousness and it's not the, the ascendancy. It is the unsearchable riches. I mentioned in the last session, Paul said this, to me, less than the least of all the saints was this grace given To announce to you the unsearchable riches of Christ as the gospel. To the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ as the gospel. The, The least one among us, the youngest one, the newest one, the weakest one, less than the least, the leastest one, can announce, experience, enjoy, and flow out these unsearchable riches. Okay. So let's uh, let's begin with <clears throat> with Roman 1 it says the good land is a land of wheat typifying the limited Jesus, the one who was incarnated, crucified and buried. Okay. Now we're going to talk about the Lord Jesus. Um the Lord in John 12, it's on our verse sheet uh John 12:24. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Here, the Lord is likening himself to a grain of wheat. So we could say that the grain of wheat, the wheat in the unsearchable riches of the good land, the wheat typifies the incarnated Jesus with his human living, his death on the cross and his burial. That is what wheat points us to. And if we can see that this is a land first of wheat, it's a land of the incarnated Christ with his human living, his all-inclusive death on the cross and his burial in the tomb. We're talking about the wheat now. All right? Um, So, what does this mean? I mean, what does this mean in in our experience? What is this? how How do we enjoy, how do we farm or apply this aspect of Christ? Amen? Whenever we are put, this is point A, whenever we are put Into a situation by the Lord's sovereignty in which we are limited, in which we are pressed, we may experience the Lord as wheat. (laughs) You might think, oh my, all these messages talk about suffering or trials or troubles or difficulties. Well, Saints, that's what the human life is. The human life is full of a variety of experiences. And these messages, these chapters, this perfecting training is designed to perfect us in our experience of Christ in every situation. You know, we could, we could hear testimonies where, you know, uh, <clears throat> a brother maybe stands up in the meeting and he says, Oh, saints, please pray for me. I lost my job today. I got laid off from my job. I have no money I have no savings. I have six children at home. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Pray for me. Please pray for me. And so the saints, you know, we love him. We care about them, him and his family. And so we pray for them and we pray. And then it seems the Lord really comes in and meets this brother's need and provides for him a really good job, maybe a better job than he had before. And so one week later, two weeks later, he stands up in the meeting and he says, brothers and sisters, I just want to thank you for praying for me. Thank you for uh, your care. I want to let you know I got a really good job. It's a good job for the church life. It's a good job for my family. It's better than my other job. God is faithful. God is faithful. And so we rejoice. We rejoice with that. But Do you think that in that kind of a situation, what aspect of Christ is being constituted, is being wrought, worked into our being in that kind of a situation? Now, suppose the same brother, he uh, he loses his job and we pray for him. And then one month goes no job. Two months goes no job. Three months Four months, six months, still no job. And there he is. He's pressed. He's limited. He has a little bit of support from the government, maybe a little from his family. Now he's in a limited situation. Now he is pressed. The anxiety, the stress, the burden. His wife maybe is unhappy with the situation, no doubt. It's hard. And every time he goes for a job interview, he gets an interview. Then the second, the third, finally, no. Oh, he had his hopes and then <clears throat> disappointed again. What, <clears throat> what testimony would he give at the end? After six months, he gets a job. Now, in, in God's view, in God's economy, Which of these two testimonies, which of these two experiences are the most precious to God? That he could work a miracle, that you could get a better job within a short time, and you could declare, oh, God is faithful. He's faithful to me because I'm the center of the universe. Maybe not that. But still, but if he leaves us in a a difficult situation, And now we're limited. Now we're pressed. Now we lost our freedom. We don't have money to go out. We don't have money for the restaurant. We don't have money for the entertainments. Now we're limited. And now we're pressed. And it's in this kind of situation where we really can eat some solid food. And this solid food is called wheat. it's it's the wheat that becomes our nourishment not just our refreshing water it is now nourishment nourishing food to our whole being this is how we grow in life brothers and sisters it's not the miracles it's not the answer those kind of answered prayers that help us to grow it is being limited. It's being restricted. You know, right now with this kind of coronavirus situation, we're all limited. We can't go out. We can't go freely. We can't go to the store. We can't go to the ball. Even we go to the grocery store, we have to be very careful. Uh, Everything is condensed, compressed even claustrophobic. We're in the house all day long. Our kids are driving us crazy. Our husband is demanding and everyone's unhappy. It's just limitation and pressure. Now, I want to give you uh, a picture here. When God became a man, think about this. It was the triune God, the all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent, triune God, the creator of heaven and earth. And what did he do? He put himself, was conceived in the womb of a woman, a virgin Mary. And he remained there for nine months. He didn't jump out the next day as a man. He remained there in the normal process of human development. An embryo, then a little development. And over the course of nine months, this great almighty God was limited, constricted in the womb of a woman. And then on the day he was born, he was brought forth, Again, he didn't come out with a crown on his head and with uh, a scepter in his hand, with royal robes on. I'm God manifested in the flesh. No, he was just a little baby and he was born in a barn. He was placed in a manger, a place where cattle eat. There was no bed, there was no crib. There was no house, no flat. There was nowhere. He was nothing. Limited, limited. So, so small, so weak, so low. And then he grew up. It says he grew up like a a tender plant out of dry, dry soil. He grew up in Nazareth. He didn't grow up in a, in a, in a castle. He didn't grow up. In a uh, <clears throat> palace. He didn't grow up as royalty, as the son of a king. He grew up in Nazareth, in Galilee, a despised and low and poor community. His family was poor. His father was a carpenter. <clears throat> Excuse me. Not his real father, not the Father God, but Joseph. His practical father was a carpenter. And so, as a young man growing up in the home of a carpenter, he had to learn how to do carpentry. He had to learn that. You say, well, <clears throat> he was God, he knew everything. But as a man, he had to learn that. Limited, limited, pressed, <clears throat> so hard. Not easy. I'm sorry. Then he came out to serve. He was small. He was not a big man. He uh, did not have a a good appearance. He was not (laughs) handsome. He wasn't tall and strong and handsome. And wow, do you see him. It wasn't like that. It says the people would turn their face away from him. His visage was marred. He, he didn't come rich, powerful, strong, mighty. He came small, despised, limited. He is the example of what it is to be limited. <clears throat> he had no freedom. His mother gave him no freedom. His father gave him no freedom. Even his heavenly father gave him no freedom. He couldn't speak whatever he wanted to say. He couldn't complain. He couldn't criticize. Sometimes he couldn't weep. Sometimes he couldn't laugh. He was altogether the most limited person. Um, No freedom. Some of us, we feel like we're trapped. We're just trapped. We might feel trapped in a marriage, trapped in a family, trapped with our kids, trapped in our situation, trapped in our financial hardships. And we're limited. We're limited. No freedom. And then we start searching for freedom, for release, for some kind of of get-out-of-that situation. But it's right there that you can experience Christ as the grain of wheat. The one who fell into the ground to die to produce many grains. Well, let me take this one step further. You know, those many grains are us. We become the grain of wheat. How do we become a grain of wheat? By eating Christ as a grain of wheat. And you know what this wheat, what happens to this wheat? The Bible tells us that this wheat needs to be ground into powder to become the flour. And then it's mingled with oil, mingled with the spirit. And it's blended together to produce a lump. And this lump is kneaded and pressed and kneaded and pressed. And then it's rolled out. Flattened, and then it's put into an oven. This is the life of a grain of wheat. It's processed. It's ground up. It's anointed with oil, and it's blended together. Saints, some of us are still quite whole. We're still quite in ourself, quite still like a grain. But we, you and me, we need to go through a process whereby this grain of wheat is ground into flour and blended with all the other pieces all the other grains so that we could become the body of Christ on the earth. How do we do that? We experience Christ in his limitedness in his being pressed in his incarnation his human living his dying on the cross and his burial oh what a rich christ what a rich, isn't that unsearchably rich i mean it's just too precious limited remember these two words limited and pressed i think i think every one of us every one of us can say we're limited and we're pressed but what are we going to do complain murmur do you think the Lord went around complaining that nobody liked him he was opposed he was called names he was despised do you think he'd sit in the corner and and uh, weep nobody likes me nobody like, nobody calls me nobody cares about me no no he was a grain of wheat and he was there and we can enjoy him we can eat him in this situation. And this becomes food. This becomes solid food. And this is how we grow in life. This is how the body is built. And this is how the bride is prepared. Brothers and sisters, It's too good. Point B, when we contact the Lord in our limiting and restricted circumstances, we will realize that he is the infinite God who became a finite man and that there is power in him to bear any kind of limitation. There is power in him to bear any kind of limitation. Our verse here is Philippians 4.13. This verse is on our verse sheet, I believe. Yep. Uh, No, it's not. Sorry. Uh, Paul says, For I can do all things in him who empowers me. You see, Paul learned this secret. He learned how to eat Christ as a grain of wheat. In his limited situation, he could boast, I can do all things in this one, in this grain of wheat, because he empowers me. You will find strength you never knew you had. You'll find satisfaction and rest in the most unrestful of circumstances. He will be the real food, the grain of wheat to you. Point C. Christ is our life to make us willing to be limited, willing to die, willing to be buried, willing to be nothing. You see, we realize that the Christ we enjoy, the Christ who lives in us, The very Christ who right now is in my spirit is the one who is willing to be nothing, willing to die, willing to be buried, willing to be limited. And may the Lord make us willing, willing to be in our circumstance, willing to be in our limitation. Lord, I'm willing. You know, you know, Lord, I'm in a limited situation right now. Do you think I like being here in in Texas when all y'alls are in Germany? For those that don't know that term, it means all of you, all y'alls. That's how they talk in Texas. It's limiting. I'm limited here. How I long to be with you in Germany. And you know what? I believe, if, if the Lord will help us, Maybe in early June, uh, Joyce and I can return to Dusseldorf to be with you again. We just can't wait for that. But right now, this is a limitation. You know what, I also maybe don't wanna say too much, but Joyce right now is passing through a real trial. Me too. She's on a kind of medication that has very strong side effects. The side effects make her extremely tired, weary, even depressed. So she's battling those tiredness, the feeling, the sadness, the and then she feels sick, sick to her stomach, loss of appetite. All of these are a kind of limitation and you know, she needs to sleep a lot. I let her sleep. My I just let her I, I wish she would sleep all day because I think it would help. But when she gets up, she comes out, she smiles at me, she goes into her little room. She has a chair in there. She has her Bible there, her little morning revival book. And she eats wheat. She feeds on that wheat every day. And you know what? I can tell. I can tell she's eating Jesus. And it is sustaining her. It is supplying her. And it's making her willing to pass through this so that we can be a supply to you. This is the experience of wheat. We don't hate this. You say we don't enjoy it, but we surely know how to enjoy the Lord in this. Lord, we like to be willing. Willing to be limited. Not fight it. Not pray, oh, get me out of here. Oh, deliver me. Lord, release me. No, willing. Willing to die. To be nothing. Willing to even be buried. Is there anything more lonely than a grain of wheat being buried in the ground? No. But let me tell you something. We're learning that as you eat him as the wheat, he will supply you, he will sustain you, and he will energize you. That's our testimony. Amen. Willing. Lord Jesus, how we want to eat you as the wheat. But that's not all. We have to go on. The good land, Roman 2, the good land is is a land of barley, typifying the resurrected Christ. He's not only the land of wheat, he's also the land of barley. Now, these two go very close together. Uh, Wheat is the incarnated, human living, crucified, and resurrected. and Buried Christ, but barley is the resurrected Christ. Well, how do we get that from barley? Well, you know, in the Old Testament, the verses are here in Leviticus 23.10. Point A says this, because barley ripens early, it is the first fruit of the harvest. And it's a type of the resurrected Christ. Um, Barley ripens early. In the farms where I lived in Central California, the farmers would always grow, a lot of them would grow a crop of barley because they could plant early and it would be harvested early. It would fully ripen even before summertime. It was really the first fruits. And the, the Lord told Moses to tell the children of Israel When you have the first fruits of your crops, you have to bring that to Jerusalem to offer to the Lord as a sacrifice. And in 1 Corinthians 15, the verse here, it's on our verse sheet. Oh my, it's not on our verse sheet. Maybe I have to add it in. Uh, It tells us that Christ was the first fruit in resurrection. Okay, Um, so this gives us the linkage between barley being the first fruit of the crop, Christ being the first fruit in resurrection, also mentioned in Colossians, uh, and and the crop of barley always ripening first. So point B says, in order to experience the wheat, the limited Jesus, we need to apply him as the barley, the unlimited Christ. We follow the limited Jesus in the power of the resurrected Christ. So this is why they go together. How can we uh, experience the limited Jesus? Well, we need the unlimited barley. How do we experience the limited wheat? By also eating the unlimited barley. You remember the story in John chapter 6, I believe it is. Yes, John 6. John 6. when the Lord was with a multitude of people and they had been following Him for three days and they were hungry and there was nowhere to buy food, and He didn't, He wasn't willing to send them home without, on an empty stomach, without food. And so He told the disciples, Disciples, give them something to eat. <laughs> the disciples, were looking at each other, Lord, there's 5,000 people here, and we don't have anything. We have nothing. And then, then they said, but we found a little boy, and he brought his lunch. And his lunch, there are five barley loaves and two fish. Five loaves and two fish. But what is this? For so many people, there's 5,000. One loaf per, per thousand? But they were barley loaves. This is the point, brothers and sisters. They were not wheat bread. They were barley bread. Barley loaves. So what did they do? They gave the barley loaves into the Lord's hands. And the Lord blessed it. He broke it. And he distributed it. And with that barley... Five barley loaves. He could feed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. There could have been well over 10,000 people there, counting the women and the children. And then, after that was over, they gathered up all the leftovers. There were still leftovers. And it came to 12 baskets of leftover barley bread so five loaves fed 5,000 men and the leftovers were 12 baskets this will tell you something about barley barley may seem so small, so insignificant it's a child's lunch but when you put it in the Lord's hand it can feed a multitude and there's lots left over more than the child came with. 12 baskets is far more than five loaves. That is what barley is. So point B says, oh, I read that. Point B, to experience the wheat, we have to apply him as the barley. When Jesus fed the 5,000, point C, he fed them with five loaves made of barley. I don't know if you knew that. You should have known that. Uh, You know, the wheat is limited. The barley is unlimited. It's just like the spacious land. It's unlimited. It'll feed a multitude. You might think that your experience of the Lord is so small, so limited, so weak, but you, you touch the barley. You eat the barley. You take Christ as your real barley loaf. You could feed a multitude. You could feed your wife, your husband, your children. You'd be a real life supply to them. Number one, under sea as barley loaves, they could feed 5,000 people with 12 baskets of broken pieces left over. This is resurrection. Point two, Jesus said to his disciples, you give them something to eat. I think what the Lord was trying to do was to expose them a little bit on how they had nothing. They had no food. They had nothing to give, nothing to feed others with. We might be in this kind of a situation where uh, a new one, a needy one, a suffering saint a, a, a weaker one comes to you and opens up his problem to you, his need to you, his struggle in his marriage, his life, his job, his finances, his health, and you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, "I have nothing. I have nothing. I have nothing." It's at that moment you have to say, "Lord, you're my barley loaf." You are my barley loaf. I don't even have five loaves. Even I have one crumb, one little piece of barley bread. And this barley is in my spirit. And Lord, I take you as my barley right now so that I can feed this brother, this sister, this situation, this multitude. Point three, the disciples said, there's a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many? We often do this. We do this, brothers and sisters. We're in a meeting. Maybe it's a prophesying meeting. Maybe it's a, a group meeting. And the fellowship is going on and the, the flow. And you, you think, oh, I, I have a little something to share. But what is that? What is that for this, this meeting for so many? Uh, we discount, we doubt, we, we really doubt resurrection. We doubt supply, we doubt the barley, the power of the barley, the supply of the barley. We look at ourselves. we look at the little boy, we look at his little loaves, but, but what is this among so many? Um, we do this so much. In fact, this experience in John chapter 6 is so much like us. We despise our portion. We despise what little we have. We despise our experiences of Christ. We have experiences of Christ, yet we discount it. We say, oh, poor me. Oh, pitiful me. Oh, I'm always defeated. I'm always failing. I always sin. I always... And you don't and you forget that you've got a barley loaf in your spirit. And but you despise it, you discount it. Remember Paul in First Thessalonians five, he says, Do not despise prophecies. Now, do you think he's talking about my prophecy? No, he's talking about your prophecy. We all despise our own piece, our own loaf, our own portion. Brothers and sisters, when we come together and, oh, I just cannot wait until we can meet together again. Don't you just long to be back together with the saints? Oh, I think the first time we get to be back together, we're going to have a glorious, joyous, rejoicing, overflowing, resurrected meeting. And then after we're going to have a barbecue with brats and all kinds of food Persian food, German food, whatever kind of food, there'll be an abundance. We will be rejoicing. Don't you look forward to that? But suppose, remember back when we were meeting in the meeting hall and it was a prophesying meeting and we'd be sitting there and thinking, oh, you know, I enjoyed this point, but uh, I don't want to share. I don't want to share. Or... It's not that much. And somebody else already shared about it. This is, this is what those disciples said. But what are these for so many? Brothers and sisters, we have a barley loaf in our spirit. The Lord replied, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. This is what we have to do. We have to say, Lord, I give you what I have. I give you what I have. I don't have much. I don't have faith in it. I don't have confidence in it. But I give it to you. I take it out of my hands and I put it into your hands. And you know what that is? That might be standing up to prophesy. You might just say, Lord, what I have, I give to you. Now, I'm not giving it to the saints so they can think I'm glorious and wonderful and the most spiritual person that ever lived. I'm not giving it for their approval, for their appreciation. Lord, I'm giving it to you. I'm putting it in your hand. Point five, as long as there are barley loaves and as long as they are something of the resurrected Christ, that is good enough. That will meet the situation and there will always be a surplus. Now, let me give you an example. Uh, you come to the meeting, it's the prophesying meeting, and you have such a little portion, just a crumb. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a slice of bread, a little piece. You have, and you, you despise it. But you, you share in the meeting. You, you give your little piece. And as soon as you open your mouth, that little piece becomes a big piece becomes a real supply to all the saints. When you're going home from that meeting or you're leaving that meeting and you're going back, you feel so full, so satisfied, so, oh, so nourished. And there's still food left over. Maybe you don't have to hold baskets, but maybe you have a basket. There's always a surplus. Brothers and sisters, <clears throat> we have to, apply this. We have to practice this. We shouldn't be always so sure of ourselves. We have to experience the limited Jesus and the unlimited Christ. The one who is limited and the one who's unlimited. And so, especially using the meetings as an example, we can experience his unlimitedness. Okay, point D, we can do all things in the one who empowers us because he is the resurrected and unlimited Christ. We can do all things in the one who empowers us because he is the resurrected and unlimited Christ. Okay, Paul said this, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things in him. That verse implies a difficult situation. It implies a limitation. So the wheat's there. And I can do all things in Christ, in him. That is the barley. Him who empowers me. So we have the limitation on one hand and we have the empowering on the other hand. Oh, saints, let's go into this all-inclusive Christ, this marvelous, exceedingly good land. And let's apply him every day, every day, no matter what is happening. We apply him again and again and again. We will eat him as the wheat. We will eat him as the barley. And we will grow just like that. We will grow so fast. Not like a mushroom, but we will grow in a solid way, In a fine way, we will mature in the life of Christ. Okay, let's come to the last section. The good land is a land of vines, typifying the sacrificing Christ, the Christ who has sacrificed everything of himself, and out of his sacrifice, he produced new wine to cheer God and man. it tells us that this this land is a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and so forth so right after the wheat and the barley there's the there's the vine this is very good sequence very good progression we we experience the limited jesus and the unlimited christ and then we have some supply to sacrifice ourselves for the benefit of others. The Lord Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. That means you also are part of the vine. You also are in the nature of a vine, in the species of a vine. Now, a vine is not a tall, tall tree. A vine is a short tree. And a vine doesn't grow this way. A vine grows this way. And uh, this vine is producing grapes. And these grapes are pressed to make wine, to cheer God and man. So this vine has to go through a process. This vine, just like the wheat, this vine... Is living in a kind of environment of restriction. You know, my wife, she had a, she grew up on a, on an orchard, a vineyard, actually, is very large, a vineyard uh, of forty acres, about twenty, twenty-two heca- 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 hectares. I, I don't know what you call them, uh, very large, and she had to work in the vineyards all the time. And what you do is you, you've got to tie all the branches up. You tie them to a, a wire just so they grow in a certain way they're really limited. And then after uh, then you, you you know after the, the the produce after you've harvested the grapes, then you prune them. You cut them back, you cut off all the old growth so that new growth will come. And then you tie it again. You tie their vines and then what they do they just produce they just produce and the, the vines are overflowing with grapes um they they produce these big clusters of grapes and the grapes oh you know they did they do something they do, they take a knife and they cut around the bark this is not you know scriptural perhaps but what that did is that allowed the riches from the soil to come up the vine and supply the branches, the leaves, and eventually the fruit. But there was no way for that supply to get back. There was no continuation, no flow. So the grapes became large, large, large. The clusters became so big and so fresh, so so rich, so sweet, I told you yesterday, or yeah, the Friday, we would go and we'd cut these big clusters of grapes and just eat them, eat them. Oh, I could eat oh, so much. Just love that. Oh, I just love that. <clears throat> well, still, you produce these big grapes, but the grapes are, are not finished. Now the grapes have to go through a process. First, the vine has to go through a process and then the grapes have to go through a process to ferment, to be pressed, to be squished, to be so that the, the juice, the water, the, the, the wine could come out. And then all the dregs are taken away and what's left is wine, is grape juice. And then the grape juice has to sit there to ferment to become wine and this wine becomes the joy the rejoicing both god and man rejoice you become is it okay to say this you become drunk drunk with christ so let's read about the vine the vine, the vines in this roman point it tells us that christ sacrificed everything he is really again not only a picture of limitation he's a picture of sacrifice he sacrificed his life he laid down his own life for us for our salvation for the forgiveness of our sins he had no sin he sacrificed himself for the salvation of man for the forgiveness of our sins He sacrificed his freedom. He sacrificed his words. He said the foxes have holes. The birds have a nest. The son of man. He has nowhere to lay his head. He has no home. He sacrificed. You could say he poured out. He poured out again and again and again. He just kept sacrificing. He kept pouring out for others. He kept pouring out. And this is the life of a vine. This is what the vine shows us. It's a life that just pours out. It pours out for others. It pours out for their joy, their happiness. Even he suffered and bled and died on a cross, suffering incredible human suffering so that we could have a little joy, a little rest in our life. Can we sacrifice ourselves? You know, this this sacrificing Jesus as the true vine lives in my spirit. And he's pouring out. He's sacrificing himself for the benefit of others to please God and to please man. Saints, this is our life on the earth. Uh, Brothers and sisters, I, I just have this feeling Lord, my life, the meaning of my life as I live it today on the earth, as I've lived it for the last 50 years, is to please God, is that he could have his good pleasure, his heart's desire, and his satisfaction, that the Lord himself could find rest, that he could have that bride that he is longing for sacrifice sacrifice for this pour out for this just pour out you have a life within you that does not reserve does not hold back does not say wait 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 Uh, let me think about it let me let me calculate the cost let me consider no it's not that kind of a life it's a life that just pours out like that this is the life within us Out of this kind of life, you cheer God and you cheer man. A, if we contact the Christ typified by the vine and experience his sacrificing life, he will energize us. There it is again energize us to live a life of sacrifice, producing wine to make God and others happy. In ourselves, we're not able to live a life of sacrifice no way am i going to sacrifice for you i mean why would I, why would i do that in ourselves in ourselves we're not able to live a life of sacrifice for our life is a natural life a selfish life if we contact the lord and experience <clears throat> his sacrificing life he will energize and strengthen us to sacrifice for god And for others. Amen. You know, I've noticed through the years, the happiest people are the most unselfish ones. The ones that pour out, they're the happiest people. On the other hand, the most selfish people are the most unhappy, unhappy ones. If we're unhappy, you know We're just an unhappy person. It just means we need to experience and enjoy Christ as the vine, the sacrificing life. He will energize us. He will supply us. He will sustain us to live this life of sacrifice. Okay. Let's read this last point. Then we will be drunken with happiness, realizing that the happiest person is the one who is the most unselfish. We will bring happiness to those who contact us and we will bring cheer to God. <laughs> Isn't that good? All these points, the unsearchable riches of Christ from 3 or 4 verses from the Old Testament. Oh, he's a land of water brooks, springs and fountains that flow in valleys and hills. Mountains. It's a land of wheat and barley, vines and figs and pomegranates and olive oil, olives that produce oil and honey. Saints, there is an all-inclusive good land full of the unsearchable riches of Christ just waiting for us, waiting for us to enter into this land, to search it out, to walk in the length, of the breadth, every place where the sole of your foot will tread, that I have given to you. You experience Christ as the wheat one time and you have wheat. Now you know, you got it. You experience barley one time and barley is yours. Barley is there. You experience Christ as the vine, the sacrificing one, even just one time. And that, that becomes a reality to you in your life and your service to the Lord. May the Lord bring us into this. May we be perfected in this. May the church become rich, full of these unsearchable riches of Christ. Lord Jesus, how we thank you for being such a precious one. We just can't help but love you. We love you, Lord. Lord, you're the unsearchably rich Christ. Oh, how we thank you that you're so available that right now in all of your goodness, all the items of what you are so good in are now in our spirit and our spirit is linked to you in the heavens. All that you are, all that you've attained, all that you have obtained is now with us. we like to apply you We want to experience you. And most of all, we want to enjoy you in all of your all-inclusiveness. Be with us in these coming days as we apply this. Lord, bless your church. Bless the saints. Bless the families. Bless all of our new ones. Bless, oh, bless the, the marriages. Bless the children, Lord become such a blessing to us all. We pray this again. Oh, Lord, in your precious, wonderful, sweet and lovely name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we'll stop here.